Welcome to Episode 3 of What We Believe and Why with Dr. George Byron Koch. Dr. Koch has a passion to help followers of Jesus see and understand each other, their traditions, and do so with clarity and grace. And one of the ways he's doing that is with this program called What We Believe and Why. Well, when we wrapped up last time, we were looking at the words of Jesus from the book of John as he explained salvation to Nicodemus. And we're about to find out what those words mean to us today. Here's Pastor George. So we've been looking at John 3, 1 through 21, as Jesus describes to Nicodemus what salvation is about. Let's look now to unpack this a bit and understand the death of Jesus and how it is related to the kingdom of God. Jesus gives a hint in this passage of what his death will be like and what it will accomplish. He makes reference to an event from the exodus from Egypt, recorded in Numbers 21, when the Israelites grouse against God and Moses and how much they hate the food that God is freely supplying to them. God sends venomous snakes among them to rebuke them. The people repent to Moses, and at the Lord's command, Moses creates a bronze snake on a pole and has it lifted high above them. God promises that whenever a snake bites anyone, all they have to do is look up at the bronze snake on the pole, trusting the promise, and they will live. Yes, it's a very odd story. And we might like it better if the narratives in Scripture were a bit more simple, like children's stories. But take the cue of the strangeness and the sparks in the Bible as an invitation to dig deep. Under them, you will find an inexhaustible order and beauty that radiates from the face of God. Jesus says the same will be true of him as it was with the bronze snake. He will be lifted up both on the cross and to the right hand of God. You can see this in Philippians 2. And just as those who would die from the bite of a venomous snake are saved by looking to the bronze snake on a pole, so those who are poisoned by this world, by sin, by Satan, the serpent in Genesis 3, and who, who would otherwise die are saved for eternity by looking to Jesus. Jesus then re-emphasizes this point in the most famous verse of the New Testament, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Now, it's important in understanding this verse, this most famous verse of the New Testament, that we also understand what just preceded it. This verse is a part of Jesus encountering Nicodemus, and revealing to him what is required to truly see and participate in the kingdom of God. You have to be born into it. And what is required for that birth? Trusting in the one who God sent, who has the power of God to save. As a side note, critics of the faith sometimes claim that God would not give the power of salvation to a mere man like Jesus. Yet against this logic is the testimony of Numbers 21, where just such power 
was given through a bronze snake. If God can do it through a bronze snake, he certainly can do it through anyone or anything he chooses, and most certainly through Jesus. And Jesus did just that. By giving up his own life for us at the crucifixion, when he was lifted up on the pole of the cross. Jesus continues with Nicodemus and expands for him about the nature of his coming to live among us. And it reads this way. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All those who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light, so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Now, normally this passage is explained something like this. If you believe in Jesus, you get saved. If you don't believe, you don't get saved. It sounds like your failure to believe buys you a death sentence. But that isn't actually what Jesus is saying. He begins with saying, God sent his son in order to save the world through him, not to judge or condemn it, but to save it. That's God's intention in sending his son. So the promise is that this is a rescue effort to save those who are in trouble and want to be saved. When the light appears, they move toward it, seeing that it is for their benefit. No matter how sinful, beat up, wounded, or worn out they are, when they see the light, they know that hope is here, that their rescue is nigh, and they naturally move toward the light. The distance isn't essential, just the direction. But there are some dedicated to taking advantage of others who have used the darkness to their advantage to steal and wound and kill, and the last thing they want is light exposing their malicious acts. They flee from the same light that draws those who desire to be rescued. So it isn't a test to see if you believe the right things about Jesus, as you might of a doctrinal or philosophical proposition. And it isn't just that you believe in Jesus in the sense that you merely assert your faith in him, but rather it is that you trust him enough to turn toward him for his help, and then to live as he tells you to live, to do what he says to do. And if this doesn't sound orthodox enough, listen to Jesus himself in Luke ten twenty-five through 28. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. 
Do this, and you will live. Now, I recently heard a preacher read these verses and then quickly add, Of course, when Jesus says, Do this, and you will live, it isn't eternal life he's talking about, but a richer, fuller human life. Now, such an easy dismissal is stunning. If we want to understand how to get eternal life, who better to ask than Jesus? And when the expert in religious law asks exactly this question, why would anyone dismiss Jesus' plain and direct answer and then substitute another interpretation as good Christian theology? Yikes! So the essential of the Christian life, of being born again, the essential of being a believer is this, salvation. That's the essential, salvation, getting saved. It's where and how we are born into eternal life. Salvation begins when you trust Jesus to do what he says he will do. And he does. God accepts us because of the righteousness of Jesus, not ours. It makes us right before God, justified, and we enter an everlasting covenant. We are reborn as citizens in the kingdom of God. This invitation is open to everyone, everywhere, regardless of their religious upbringing or lack of it, and regardless of their sins, whatever they are. No exceptions, no disclaimers. Salvation begins when you trust Jesus to do what he says he will do. Take your sin and love you forever. To be plain, if you've not set your heart on him, not yet trusted him, not yet said yes, you can do it anytime, anywhere. You will be heard and accepted immediately, even now. Now there's more. And this more is going to be a huge and lifelong adventure. Salvation isn't only about you being forgiven, getting born from above, and receiving eternal life. It isn't just a personal, individual transaction with God. Rather, it is all about God's love for the whole world and the freeing of souls that have been trapped in a world of darkness. Not only does Jesus enter this world to accomplish this end and demonstrate his love by the sacrifice of himself, he also offers to you and to each of us the honor of being a part of this invasion into the darkness and the liberation of souls. In truth, he does more than offer us the opportunity. He wants it of us. We will look more deeply into what this more means as we move ahead. The challenges, transformations, and joys. But the important realization here and now is that salvation is not the end of the journey but the beginning of a new one. Salvation is birth into a new life, coming alive in God's kingdom. The more has a name as well, sanctification or learning to love. We will turn next to that. Sanctification, five syllables that have caused a lot of problems in certain sectors of the church. We'll unpack that word a bit after the break. Stay with us. 